All right. Well, why don't you take your seats here in Horsham at Nil. Get ready. Spirit of God's going to break out this morning in your lounge room. I know that you, if you have got your recliner legs up so your feet are flat, that is not a posture of receiving, that's a posture of sleep. Come on. We are going somewhere this morning. If you've got that, that leg rest up, why don't you put that down? Can we give a huge thank you to our worship team for leading us so well this morning? You guys have done a great job. Hey, today I've, I've got a bit of a hard word. I've got a bit of a, a, not a, not a stern word. This is not a, a correction, but I think that there's something that God wants to do through this. This is not a message that came easy. This is a message that actually took a lot of time this week. It took a lot of prayer this week. It took a lot of challenge this week. And there's certain parts of this that I was like, God, I don't really want to say that. I don't really want to do that. But I felt impressed in my heart that we have to go somewhere this morning. So will you come with me? Up at Neil, are you coming with me? And line, in your lazy boy with your legs raised, still. Are you coming with me? Let's go. We're going to do this together. But I want to talk to you this morning about the story of Stephen. Most of you know Stephen was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And he was appointed. Uh, and he was out preaching and teaching. And he was performing many miracles. It starts here in, um, in chapter 6 of the book of Acts. It tells the story of Stephen was off preaching and teaching. And people started to argue with him and and religious leaders would argue with him and say, you're off base, you're, you're out of touch, this is wrong, this is heresy, you can't say that. But they could not stand up to the wisdom that was coming from his mouth through the Holy Spirit. They started to argue with him, but they couldn't stand up to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit as he spoke. You know, and they lied about Stephen. Anyone ever had someone lie about you and tell a story about you to get you in trouble? It's probably happened before, maybe at school or maybe at your workplace or maybe there's been someone else who's been going for the same promotion as you and they've told porkies about you so that you didn't get the promotion but they did. You know what Stephen was lied about and he was seized and he was brought before the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin was like the religious council of the day. They were, you know, in, in the Jewish culture that was the, like the highest form of government, that was the highest form of religious council. And he was brought before them. He was taken before them. And, and just before he be begins his defense, this is Stephen, and he's brought before them, he's standing there. And before he is able to answer the charges that have been brought against him, hang on, this is, this is heresy, what you're saying. What do you have to say? Everybody in the place, and I can just imagine it looked a little bit like this. I mean, you guys are much better looking, I will say. But they could all see that he had the face that looked like an angel. You could tell the presence of God was with him. The presence of God was with him when he spoke. And he starts to, to speak. He starts to read. He, he starts to talk about the, the history, the going back to Moses, going back to Abraham. And he starts to talk about the history of the Israelite nation. He starts to talk about the Jewish culture. He starts to talk about the things that made them who they were and what they were. And I want to I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but if you are keen, I recommend that you actually read the whole chapter of Acts chapter 7. Read the whole story. Get the picture. See where Stephen is going with this. And there's a couple of things that he brings up in this, in this chapter that I want to pull out this morning. And this is going to be our main text today. 
But Acts chapter 7 in verse 8, he starts to talk about he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him from eight days after his birth. And later Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. He's setting up this picture that circumcision was a key foundation of the belief system of Israel. It says you are different, you are set apart, you are holy in the eyes of the Lord because you have been circumcised. And that was set up right at the very foundations from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And this was what brought about the Israelite nation. This was a key thing. Circumcision was the mark of a covenant with God. Don't worry, we're not going to go there. We've got no pictures to show this morning. Okay, But we want to talk about this because it's a key factor later on. He's setting them up and said, this has been a key for your religious beliefs is that if you are circumcised, you're okay. And they're starting to hear this going, that sounds right. Yep, this is good. Okay, we're listening to this and going, this, is, this lines up with everything that we know. Yes, circumcision, that is our covenant. And if we are circumcised, we have then the right to be called the children of God. So this is the Israelite belief. So he goes on and he, he gets, and if you read this, he's going through all of the history. Acts chapter 7, verse 25 to 28 says, Moses thought that his own people, and this is when Moses himself, he's been, he'd been raised as an Egyptian, but he knew he was an Israelite. And he came, he's like, oh, I thought I'm going to come and I'm going to lead the people out of, out of this exile, out into freedom. And he says this in verse 25, he says, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them by saying, men and brothers, why do you hurt each other? And the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and says, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday in if you've ever read the story of Moses, you'll know that that's one of the reasons why he went into exile in the first place is because you know, he ran off into the desert for 40 years to work out what he actually wanted to do with the rest of his life. He had to go and find himself. <laughs> Instead, he found a burning bush. He found the presence of God. But they had a rejection of the authority of God. Do you realize that there's this symbolism here, this 40 years keeps coming back, Right? This was 40 years before Moses came back to lead them out of Egypt. And then when he led them out of Egypt, there was another 40 years because they rejected the promise of God to move into the promised land again. We all think that, oh yeah, Moses, he killed the guy and he went off to the bush for a couple of weeks and then came back. No, no, it was years later. This is not like, it reads in the scripture like it is, but it's not. It's years later that he came back. Verse 37 to 39, it says, Then this is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the same assembly in the wilderness when the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us, but our ancestors refused to obey him. They rejected him, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. So even after Moses, who had to come and said, I am God's representative. And they said, no, you're not. Who are you? Who made you ruler and judge over me? You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. God sent Moses and they rejected him. God sent Moses again and they reluctantly went. 
And then when they got out into the desert, they said, you know, it's better back in Egypt. I'm rejecting this authority. And therefore, they were actually stopped from, being, from heading into the promised land. All throughout history, religious leaders had resisted the Holy Spirit. Prophets were persecuted and killed because they spoke uncomfortable truths. They said, turn away from sin. Destroy your idols. Turn back to God. And they were persecuted and killed. And it wasn't just one or two. It was most of them. They called people to follow because God was wanting to rescue them. If you've ever read the book of Judges, you see this pattern, this cycle of God raising up someone to rescue Israel from persecution, sets them free, and they go, oh, thanks very much. The judge dies. Let's go back in doing our own ways. They end up in exile or under persecution again. God raises up another judge. There's this constant, constant cycle throughout the Old Testament of Israel rejecting the Spirit of God. And that's where I want to get to today. Let's read Acts chapter 7, 51. You stubborn people. Wow, that's just pause right there. You stubborn people. Have you ever been stubborn? You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet that your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, and even though you received it from the hands of angels, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at rage in him, at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. You know, sometimes when you're making a stand for Jesus, you know, you know the Bible talks about Jesus sits at God's right hand. He sits next to the Father. But this picture here says he saw Jesus standing. You know, when you're suffering persecution, when you're actually making a stand for Jesus, you know what, that brings him out of his seat. He's looking at you with favor. He's looking at you going, come on, my son. You can do it. You can stand. You can stand. Stand for me. He's actually wanting you to stand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone them. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. A young man named Saul. I want to talk to you today about ways in which we resist the Holy Spirit. Because I think it's important. I think this can slip into our everyday. This can slip into our life. This can slip into our mentality. This can slip into our churches. And we do not want to resist the Holy Spirit. We are a Pentecostal church. We believe in the day of Pentecost. We believe in the speaking of tongues. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to heal, to transform, and to renew. And that's what we believe. So we're going to act like we believe. But there's a few ways in which we can resist the Holy Spirit. And the first one is through our scripture interpretation or our unbelief. You know, I want to challenge everybody to read the book of Luke and Acts together. You know, you, you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. You know, it actually was never intended to be that way. The book of Luke and Acts is actually one book. You go, but hang on, they're separate scrolls. That's because Luke ran out of room 
on the scroll because the scroll back in those days could only hold about 9,000 words, right? The book of Luke and Acts is bigger than that. It's actually Luke Acts. should be one scroll. So I want to encourage you to read that and you will see the pattern throughout that of the power of God at work, the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the certain church doctrines that believe that the apostolic gifts or the gifts of the Spirit regarding miracles, tongues, etc. have ceased when the apostles apostles finished their ministry. And I think that's really sad and tragic. This doctrine, it rejects the supernatural, it rejects healing, it rejects prophecy, it rejects words of knowledge, and it thinks that that was for then, but not for now. It's not for the, that was for then, but not for now. And they believe in Jesus, but they deny the power of the Holy Spirit. But this kind of doctrine, it can't be supported in Scripture. It's just a lack of evidence for that person or a lack of experience. It can't be supported in Scripture. I want to draw your attention to a couple of, um, a couple of creatures that were known to be extinct. The Javan elephant was extinct, and I should have had some pictures up here of the Javan elephant. It was thought to be extinct. The goblin shark was also thought to be extinct for hundreds of years. The tree lobster from New South Wales was thought to be extinct. And also in Australia, the night parrot is a very rare bird. It was thought to be extinct. But just because science called something extinct doesn't actually mean it is because people have actually found these creatures that were declared dead, declared extinct, and they now are found living. Just because you think that something's not happening in your life doesn't mean that it can't happen. Amen? Just because you've been in a church experience that maybe denies the power of God doesn't mean the power of God doesn't exist. It does. So if you have a conviction, I want to ask you about this. Just say, for instance, you're going on trek into the jungles of Java. Everyone's with me? Just imagine, just picture you're in the jungle. You've got your machete. Or machete, whatever you, if you're, you've got a bit of a Spanish accent, Latino. I've got my machete. And you're in the jungles of Java and you're walking through there and you know in your heart of hearts and in your belief you've studied the, the books of science and you know that the Javan elephant is extinct. Or you're swimming in the ocean and you know that there's no such thing as a goblin shark anymore. But suddenly... You come across a Javan elephant in the wilderness and it's staring at you face to face. You've got a choice. You can either trust in what you knew up here or you can actually experience the real. Does that make sense? The definition of insanity would be to go, hey, I know that's a Javan elephant, but they don't exist, so therefore it doesn't exist. (laughs) Is anyone with me? You know, in the same way, religious scholars and leaders determined that the time of the ministry of the Spirit of God through people had finished. And they persecuted anybody who claimed otherwise. Acts chapter 7, 52. Was there ever a prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You know, I was so fascinated listening to James McPherson the other week come up here and speak, and he talked about that the older I get, the less certain I become about things. The less certain I become about things. I'm not so sure that that doesn't work anymore. We need to have an attitude and an atmosphere that God can do anything at any time. And I think about uh, about 120 years ago, 
in Azusa Street in downtown Los Angeles when Amy Semple McPherson got together a group of people and the Holy Spirit broke out in that room, there was like an experience of walking through the jungle and going, hang on, I thought this stuff didn't exist anymore and the Spirit of God shows up. Come on. You know, you talk about the Welsh revival. You talk about miraculous signs and wonders who've been performed by the Holy Spirit through the obedience of people. In Jesus' ministry, religious people refused to acknowledge the power of the Holy Spirit and they claimed it was evil. They claimed it was evil. And Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 12, If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can this kingdom stand? If, de- if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? He's having a go because he knows that they don't, right? <laughs> so then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You know, Jesus said in, in the book of John, chapter 14, he says that because I go to my Father, you will do even greater things. Even greater things. Jesus raised the dead. Amen. Even greater things. Amen? All right. The religious leaders were incensed by Stephen's evidence, his ac- the accusation that he brought. Their interpretation of the sk- scripture stood in the way of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that's going to cause us to have a, um, a resistance of the Holy Spirit is sin and disobedience. Sin and disobedience. You know, is this to say that God can't use anyone? No, no, God can do what he wants. But if you are committed to a life of sin, you cannot also be committed to a life of the Spirit. If you're committed to continuing to live the same way that you've always lived, habitually sinning, continually doing the same things, you are actually resisting the Holy Spirit to actually change and transform your life. You know, we talked a little bit like um, over the past few weeks in Grow about, and last Sunday about truth and grace. Truth and grace. You know, grace is not a get out of jail free card. It's not an excuse to just go and live whatever way you want because God will forgive you. It's not an excuse. If you want to live a Holy Spirit-led life, you need to go and leave your life of sin. Put sin behind you. Call yourself to a higher standard. One of the ways in which the world, and sadly, a lot of Christians now, try to deal with this obligation of grace, the obligation of grace, is to try and relabel or requalify what is sin. They try to relabel or requalify what is sin. You know what? Sin is sin. And just because you don't want to call it sin anymore doesn't make it any less sin. It's still sin. Just because the government tries to legislate, oh, you can't say that anymore, doesn't mean it's not sin. It's still sin. Okay? So we've got to understand that sin is going to stop us from living a Holy Spirit-led life. And it's a resistance. If you want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, put the former things behind you. Philippians 3, chapter 13 says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. You've got to leave some things in the past if you want to move into your future. Okay? Back to Acts chapter 7, verse 53. It says, You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. Religious leaders were given the law, but they didn't obey it. They allowed sin to resist the Holy Spirit in their life. 
The third thing that we do sometimes is that we smother the Holy Spirit. When I think about the word smother, I think about a fire that's on. And what, what do you do when you're trying to, to, um, to put out a fire is that you might even get a wet blanket, soak it in, in water and chuck it on the fire to actually starve all the oxygen out. Not only the water puts it out, but also the lack of oxygen. And we try to quench the Holy Spirit. We try to hold him back. You know, one thing I heard growing up, and I still hear it sometimes today, and this is where it starts to get a little bit hairy for me, is that I was always, always heard that the Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. And he will never do anything that you are uncomfortable with. He's sitting back waiting for you to allow him to move. And we have this perception of the Holy Spirit is that he is somehow under our control. Um, Nothing could be further from the truth. He is God Almighty. He is a part of the, the, the Trinity. I almost said trilogy, but that's a movie series. But he is a part of the Trinity. He is, he is God. And to think for a second that we can have the arrogance to say that God is going to be a perfect gentleman when it comes to let me letting him run things or not. He can interrupt whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He doesn't need our permission to move. He's going to move. Sorry, I'm getting a bit mad, but it's good. Sorry, not sorry. He is all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing. He does not fit in my box. So we try to create these concepts that help our finite and feeble selves to comprehend the infinite and the almighty. We, we try to create these concepts that help our finite and feeble selves to be able to comprehend the infinite and the almighty. We are limited. He is not. So we smother with our unbelief. We smother with our intellect. And we smother with our arrogance. What about Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4? When we see that the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What do you think the disciples were doing? They were just hanging out. They were told by Jesus to go and wait. Go into all the world, but, but wait for the Holy Spirit. So they were waiting. They were probably sitting around on the couch. They might have been having a meal. Someone was checking out Instagram or you know playing some video games or something like this, and they, they were just actually doing their own thing. You know what? I don't know. It doesn't say in the scripture that they were all down on their knees praying earnestly for all of this time, for these weeks and weeks to happen, for the Holy Spirit to come. They were just all together in one place. And suddenly, were they, did, they, did, did they all of a sudden go, oh, you know what, hey, I think now's the time that the Holy Spirit should move. Um, what is it, quarter past three on a Sunday afternoon? That sounds like a good time. Are you in agreement with this? Are you in agreement with this? Do you think that we can now allow the Holy Spirit to come now? Is that, is that okay? Oh, Thomas is doubting over there. No, he's probably not ready. Um, do you understand? They were just there. The Holy Spirit didn't ask their permission to move. Suddenly he came. And we're going to believe for some suddenlies. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. Let's have a look at the religious leaders. 
Acts chapter 7, 58 says, They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. They thought that they could smother the Holy Spirit by destroying the messenger, falling into the same pattern of history as their forefathers. The fourth thing that we, um, we often get caught up in is selfish or self-centered Christianity can resist the Holy Spirit. When we have an idea that the gospel is just for us, and we try to keep our faith private, oh, you know what, it's a private confession, it's, it's a private thing. It's, it's just about, you know, or, you know, I don't want to talk about my beliefs because that, that, that's, that's actually a really private thing. You know what, it's actually not a private thing. Your faith is not for you, it's for everybody else. Um, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This means that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you, you've got to go and you've got to speak. There is no, there's no excuse anymore. It's like, oh, no, but that's just a, that's a private thing. I, I don't want to talk about my faith. Or, or you know what, I, I, don't share, I don't share my faith online because you know, my, that's my Facebook feed and it's kind of neat and tidy and it's, you know, it's got this structure to it. And I've, you know, I've got all my images nicely in a row. And it's, but that's just about my family. Or this is about this. There's a voice. And we're supposed to use our voice to express the gospel. I think James said it the other week that the, that the, um, the role of the church or the, the, um, the obligation of the church is the proclamation of the gospel. That's the church. Now, is that this building? The building itself can't proclaim anything. So who is the church? Put your hands up if you're the church. Yeah, everybody. So our job is the proclamation of the gospel. Self-centered Christianity that's all about you or me is not true Christianity. It's all about others. It's all about connecting God with people. But this is probably a whole other sermon, but we could probably, but restricting the Holy Spirit's power in our life by keeping it all from ourselves, it's not right. The purpose of power is people. The purpose of power is people. And I've got really quickly four keys for us to align ourselves to the Holy Spirit this morning. Four keys for us to align ourselves with the Holy Spirit so that we no longer resist. First one is this. Submission. Submission. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict, challenge, change, and speak into every part of your life. Submit your way to Him. You know, Submission is a key area in church life that's difficult for people to grasp. It's hard for us sometimes to grasp, especially in our Western culture. Who, who are you to tell me what to do? We've got that attitude. Who are you to tell me what to do? Or when somebody in a position of authority asks somebody to do something, it's like, why am I doing that for them? No, you're not doing it for them. You're actually doing it for the Lord. We submit to one another in Christ. Ephesians 5.18 is this. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. You know, when you're drunk, right, you actually lose control of your ability to control yourself. There's another force controlling you. Probably the same when you take drugs and you're on a high. You lose some of your ability to control yourself. You hand over your control to alcohol. What this scripture says, instead of handing over control to a substance, is hand over control to the spirit. Don't hand over control to a substance. Hand it over to to the spirit. Submission means that you are no longer in control. Whoa. That's a scary thing for most people. 
we're no longer in control. But it is the most freeing thing that we can do is to hand over control to the Holy Spirit. Did you know there's honour in submission? The second thing that we're going to do to, um, to align ourselves with the Holy Spirit is the, have a desire and an expectation. Desire and expectation. I shared a couple of weeks ago in our grow sessions about how when I was much younger, I went with Pastor Grant Hobbs to the Philippines on a, um, I wouldn't call it a missions trip, we just were sent over there to go and preach in a bunch of churches. And Grant was on the plane with me and he's sitting next to me and he's got his book and he's flipping pages and he's got all these notes and I'm sitting next to him and I'm looking at him and I've got, I've got a blank piece of paper. He had all his sermons all... And I said, what's going on? He goes, oh, I've got all my sermon notes here. I'm ready to preach. I've got like seven or eight different things that I'm going to talk about in different places. And I'm like, oh, I better get my act together. I had a blank piece of paper when we started that trip and I didn't know what I was going to get up and say. I was unprepared. I, was, I, I had no expectation. I just thought, we're going to go. We just, yep, we're going to do this thing. Cool, great. And I had little expectation and I found myself preaching in a, in a small little village in the Philippines somewhere in the country and it was just the bush and there was one house that was bigger than most and it was, there was a room there that was much smaller than what we're standing in right now and they crammed in there about 150 people into this room and they, all they had for worship was a keyboard and a dodgy microphone and the keys didn't even work properly on the keyboard. And the worship was terrible. I mean, seriously, it was not good. It was like, I've I'm, I'm, got my hands raised and I'm like praying, Lord, let this be over. Let this be finished. And I got up and I spoke a message. I can't remember what I spoke, but I remember thinking this is the worst message in the history of messages. I mean, you can't, I, mean I had an interpreter. I didn't feel like anything was going to happen. I didn't feel like God could use me in that moment. I didn't feel like God was going to do anything in that room. But I got to the end of the message and with the terrible worship and the dodgy keyboard coming back, and I said, if you want to be prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit, why don't you come forward? And wouldn't you know it, the whole room came forward. <laughs> and people were falling down under the power of God and I was unprepared. I wouldn't even know if I was a Christian at that point. I was... I, seriously, I didn't know what was going on. I had written this sermon out on a plane on a blank piece of paper and I was just trying to not even do my best. And God took my thing, my unpreparedness, and he taught me that it's not about me and that the expectation in the hearts of people when they came to hear the word of God preached outweighed anything that I had to bring. Amen. So I want to challenge you, church. Where's your expectation? Are you expecting that when you come to church on a Sunday morning that the Holy Spirit's going to move? Or are you just thinking it's another Sunday that I can drink a good coffee in this coffee shop and talk to a couple of people? Wow. It's not like that anymore. I reckon one of the things that helps to build us up and create expectation in our life is speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues daily. You know, we can change that. We, God, God gave the gift of tongues to every believer. It edifies you and it builds you up. I reckon every spirit-filled believer needs to set aside or carve out 10 minutes every day just to speak in tongues. You can do it writing. You can do it while you're mowing the lawn. You can do it while you're you know, cooking dinner. You can do it while you're just going for a walk. I was actually just thinking about that old VB ad. As a matter of fact, I've got it now. Uh, you, you can speak in tongues whenever you've got time. There's nothing stopping you apart from ourselves. And it's going to build up your spirit. The, fourth, the third thing is humility. And we're almost done here. Humility. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21 says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. You know, it's easy for us to have a poor attitude when it comes to spiritual gifts. When maybe somebody comes and they say, oh, I've got a word for you, but you're like going, oh, not you. Please, not, not you. Not, oh, don't, don't let him come to me. No, Lord, please. Oh. And we have a shut off resistance to God speaking to us because of who it is. You know, God can use anyone at any time. You know, when that person comes to you and you're thinking, oh, please don't let it be me, please don't let it be me, you know, what happens next is up to you. You can either receive something that's going to build you up or you can actually shut it out completely because of your preconceived ideas. You could believe that God could never speak through that person. But isn't that the way that God often uses an unlikely vessel to speak? Yeah, we always look at we always look to the guest speaker with the global ministry to come and oh you know what They're, that person's coming today we've got the, that prophet's going to be here I'm going to pull out my best prophecy shirt it's the brightest hilarious loudest shirt they're not going to be able to miss me I'm pulling out the, I'm getting the fluoro shirt on you know what if I, anyone's getting the prophecy today it's going to be me and we wait for the person with the global ministry to come and to speak over us but we reject the people who are maybe next to us. Maybe we don't listen to our spouse actually speaking spiritual truth into our life. Or maybe a child in the backseat of a car that starts singing a Bible song. And we're like, are we going to accept that or are we going to reject it? We've got to be humble. And the fourth and final thing is holiness. If the worship team would like to come. Holiness. We're going to be a people who are called to be holy. Like George has said before, you're talking about the tithes being holy to the Lord. We are actually called to be separated and holy to the Lord. First Peter 1, 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Do you know that word sanctifying? The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, that word sanctifying, it's the process of making you holy. It's the process of making you holy. The Holy Spirit does that work. And when we resist Him and we decide that we're going to live in our life of sin continually, He can't do that. Sin will keep us from it, but holiness will enter us into His presence. 1 Peter 1, 2 in the New Living Translation. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. So we need to stop resisting the Holy Spirit. Come on, why don't we stand here in this room and at nil and... If you want to receive this morning something fresh from God, in your living room, I'm going to challenge you to stand. Why don't you stand? We're going to lift our hands to heaven. We're going to pray a new prayer. A prayer today accepting the Holy Spirit back to fill us afresh, to fill us anew, to fill us with fire once again. We're going to stop resisting Him. We're going to allow Him to have full control. We're going to submit 
to His authority. We're going to give Him the first place in our life. Can you say, but hang on, doesn't that belong to Jesus? You know what? Same thing. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are God. Same as God the Father. So don't try to confuse things by saying, oh, the Holy Spirit is no, He gets second place. No, no. He gets first place. Well, what does Jesus get? First place. What does God get? First place. So we're going to pray this prayer, and I want everybody in the room here and at Neil up there and in your lounge room, why don't we pray this prayer? Holy Spirit, come, fill me again. I don't want to do this by myself. In fact, I can't. I want to live with power. I want to speak your truth. I want to be a witness. But I need you to fill me once again. Holy Spirit, don't leave me by myself. But come, come in power, come in might.